Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And if you don't know that by now, I hope it's like the first time you're listening. Uh, if you don't know that by now and you've been listening, that's weird because I think we're at like, man, we're over 120 episodes, which is insane to say. I can't believe I've been doing this for over two years now. Um, I want to talk about before we you meet our guest and we jump into this because I think we're going to have, this is going to be a... Um, a very wide conversation, like where it's not going to just be like linear, how to get stuff done or how to accomplish your goals, but there's going to be some width and some depth to it. And the way I want to start it is just by sharing a piece of uh, something that I've been dealing with and going through, which is really like reassessing like what my life is about. Like why, why do I want the things I want? I've had a lot of upheaval, upheaval and change from like November into February of this year. And it's like really rattled me to my core. If you actually go back to episode, I think it's 10, uh, where I got an astrology reading done on the podcast. She said, and I only went back and saw this, which is what had me remember around 2020, your life is going to get shaken up and you're going to be calling me going, what the fuck is going on? Why is everything falling apart? And the thing is, it's not falling apart in a bad way. It's just like, I'm just getting cracked open to layers of myself that I didn't know were there, that I've never dealt with, that maybe I'm afraid to dealt with emotions, feelings. And I'm really present as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's who has big goals and helps you know, with my clients achieve big goals and go beyond what's normal. Like we have this, like the next, the next, the next, we keep fighting for more, get more stuff, bigger house, better car, uh, more money. Like let's like upload the, um, our IRAs and like get those so we can retire well. But it's all about this like future thought, the next, the next, the next. And what I'm meeting is for me seeing it. And I'm meeting all these like really cool and successful entrepreneurs that are empty that don't feel great about themselves, that are exhausted, they're burned out, and they just keep plugging away because it's like what we're taught in our society. And I'm having this moment where I'm like, fuck all that. Like, what the fuck are we doing, you know, like all this for if we don't get to leave with any of it? You know, if we miss our lives, if we miss our kids growing up, we miss like having depth with ourselves as a human connecting with ourselves. We spend more time with ourselves than anyone else. And if we don't have a relationship with ourselves that's positive and nurturing, all that stuff that we get and acquire doesn't mean anything. So for me, it's it's trying to shift. How do I really turn my attention inward and grow me as a human and fall in love with me? Because then whatever my outside looks like, I'll be happy. And I think I'll probably get more of all those things I want on the outside if I do that work. But it doesn't work the other way around. And get all the money and get all the stuff. I can have all the achievements. And I it won't change the way I feel about myself inside. 
Uh, I want to I want to bring this conversation to our guest because he is up to some. He's had tons of success and he does a lot of cool things. And so I'm curious to hear his thoughts on this. He's also a new dad, so he's seeing his daughter grow up, you know, in a blink of an eye. Uh, and I think that puts that changes your perspective. And it's a perspective I don't have. I'm, I don't have any children. So my guest today is a comedian, an entrepreneur, an actor, a producer. He's taken a company and scaled it uh, and built companies and generated over $30 million with the companies in sales that he's he's created and worked with. He has built and sold a company that had over 200 employees. He has a company now called Sellable. Like I just said, he's a new dad. He has a daughter who's one. And he is, um, I love the dynamic between being a comedian and an entrepreneur and an actor and a producer. Like there's a, there's these passion projects, there's these creative projects, there's these entrepreneurs entrepreneurial project. There's just so much. Uh, and there's family. It's like so well-rounded. Uh, welcome to the Dream Mason podcast, Tommy Barretts. What's up, dude? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, brother. How are you? I'm great. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Thanks for letting me have that, that moment in the beginning where I got to share a little about what's going on for me. I'm curious, like, does, does any of that resonate in your life? You're up to so much. You got so much going on and you now have this new baby daughter. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, a lot of moments in life are fleeting. And I think that since we live in a such a hustle, hustle, hustle society, um, that a lot of times we, uh, I guess we lose focus on what the important things are in life. I mean, everybody thinks driving a Lambo is what's important, but uh, is that what is important in life? Um, you know, like having a, having a new daughter really made me take a step back. Um, and it gave me some real perspective on life and what is important in life. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I think having money is important in terms of it. It gives you options. Uh, but having money just to buy blingy stuff really doesn't make sense to me. It, it, I would rather take my money and provide some value to people who actually need something versus buying, buying something that's, I'm just going to show off that I made money. So yeah, absolutely. Everything that you said in the beginning makes that, yeah, it, hit, it really hit home for me. Did anything, has anything specifically changed? Like you've, you're, you told me you're, before we said record your daughter's one, has anything shifted from pre-fatherhood so let's even go back like before your wife got pregnant because there was that like there's that transition period kind of <laughs> you don't know what you're, you know what you're gonna get but what from but when you were when you were just you and your wife to now you your wife and a daughter and you shared with me like your family you it's pretty much you guys are in LA on your own and your family's in in Houston what has been the biggest shift for you as a man as a person as an entrepreneur in now like having this new life show up well I mean, for starters, like the selfishness has to kind of, re, it has to reduce, right? So like the, there are things that I've wanted to do in life that a lot, you know, four years ago seemed drastically important, but like after having a daughter, I'm like, you know, some of those things I'm like, yeah, maybe it's really not that important. And here, here's the biggest factor. It made me realize that this, there was stuff that I was doing to impress other people or maybe doing it for other people versus doing it for myself. And now it's more like everything that I, that I'm like, yeah, why would I do that? I, I don't want to go do whatever it may be uh, because that wasn't for me in the first place. Now I want to do stuff that 
is, you know, benefits my family, benefits my daughter. So it's kind of shifted my mindset and it's helped me refine the things that I actually want to accomplish in life. Is there, has there been any, um, real, like I'm, I'm asking you this cause I'm just curious cause I know this is going to show up in my life at some point in the future. What's been the biggest transition in the relationship, right? It was just you two. And now there's a third human that's come into play that, you know, shakes it up a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, having a baby definitely changes the, the dynamic of a relationship. Um, and it does, obviously it brings a lot of joy. There's a lot of positive, but there's also some conflict that goes on because now it's not just you two. Now it's, you have this other human being that's there that you're responsible for. And so I feel like it brought us together. You know, I was married, but like having a baby, like now I actually feel like we're a family. Like Mm -hmm. we're a family, we're tight knit, we're um, here for each other. But um, it's really, you really pick and choose your battles when you have a baby, um, for sure. Um, but I think that, I think that, uh, it's definitely brought more fulfillment in my life than anything that I've ever done before. I want to transition a little bit here and look at, you know, you, something that I find like really interesting about you is you don't like, you don't have the, um, struggling, uh, actor or struggling creative kind of complex going on, right? Like you have to be, you know, this, this like sad, broke, creative comedian or actor, you've, you've really built like these two dimensions of your life. And like, there's more than that with the family went up, but like you have the creative, which the acting, the producing, the comedy, and then also obviously there's creativeness in the, in the entrepreneurship, but they're, they're, it's not like you don't see this very often. Like, I don't know a lot of actors that until they became famous, then brought the entrepreneurial thing. You're, you've kind of like, you're running with both at the same time, which is really interesting to see. Yeah. So I think the reason why I see that is because a lot of times when someone who is, I'll just call, let's call an actor a comedian or whatever, they always call themselves an artist. That's what they want to label themselves as, is I'm an artist. And I see it all the time, especially in stand-up comedy. Like I'll see somebody do stand-up and they are absolutely hilarious, but they don't ever really get booked. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you're, you should be getting booked a lot. Like what's going on? And it's because they're quote unquote an artist and they lack the entrepreneur entrepreneurial skill set to have that business mindset to get themselves out there and to know how to market themselves. And so I think it's in whatever you do, whether it's acting, producing, uh, stand-up comedy, you have to have a little bit of entrepreneurship in there. And if you don't have that, you need to have somebody within your circle that can provide that for you. Um, And I think especially when you're talking about artistic, um, entertainment style, um, endeavors. I mean, dude, Hollywood's the most competitive market in the world. So you have to do something to be able to stand out and you have to do something to be competitive. You have to do something to get noticed. And part of that is being an entrepreneur and understanding that. And that's like, I feel like, dude, being an entrepreneur, you know, this, like you get so much freaking rejection. So (laughs) when I walk up on stage and I, and I, you know, I've been booed off stage before and most people at that moment would quit. They're like, I'm not, this isn't for me, but because I've had so much rejection because of entrepreneurship, I'm just like, ah, just part of the process. And 
I think that anybody who's trying to do anything significant in life, um, you got to have, you got to have a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit within you to be able to succeed. I or ignorance. Have, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's ignorance. <laughs> Either way, you got to yeah. have it. Well, I want to hear more about that. Like, I love that moment you said, like boot off stage. So can you, do you actually remember that maybe that first time that you actually got completely rejected as an artist, whether it be a comedian or as an actor where you got booed off stage or like, what, can you tell us like what that was like? And oh yeah, absolutely. yeah. And the mental process behind how you did get up and get back on the horse again. Yeah. So, um, this is like, this was like a few years, like after I started doing stand up. So I don't know. Uh, I, I got a gig. I got, I got picked up for a gig and it was a bar gig and bar gigs are tough uh, <laughs> because it's already, it's not a comedy club. It's, it's a bar gig. So people are drinking. They don't, sometimes they don't want to hear comedy. Anyway, what made this <laughs> gig so difficult is they were playing music. It started like at 11 o'clock is when the comedy was supposed to start. People are on the dance floor dancing, having a good time. And then they cut the music off and they're like, Hey, we're about to have a comedy show. Already people are pissed. They're like booing. They're like, are you serious? <laughs> and thanks for the setup. Yeah. And terror. I mean, so it's like terrible. So everyone's like, kind of, we're, we're on this stage in front of the dance floor. People are on the dance floor, just kind of standing there in shock. The music just got cut off. The host goes up there. He eats shit the whole time. And he was supposed to do 15 minutes. I think he did like seven minutes. <laughs> well then I went up there next and, uh, he, as he's walking off, he's, he, you know, it's a rough crowd. I'm like a rough crowd. My ass this is more than a rough crowd. I go up there. I'm supposed to do 20 minutes. I'm about 15 minutes in. I've got some audience members paying attention and, and laughing, but man, I hear these, I hear this guy go, boo, get off the stage. And then someone else said it. And then someone else said it. And I just, I was like, all right, well, I guess that's my time. I hung up the microphone, walked off stage and in the moment, like I went walking off stage, that had never happened to me before. So I'm like kind of freaked out. Usually I'm really good about getting an audience engaged. Uh, so I'm feeling like super defeated. And, you know, you have all those things that go through your mind where, man, I'm not funny enough. Man, I'm not good at this. Why am I doing this? Why would I ever do this again? Um, you know, you feel terrible. And there is a, uh, a guy on the show. His name is Andy Huggins. He is one of the funniest people in Houston. And I walked off stage and said, Hey man, don't worry about it. He's like, it happens to everybody. He was like, this is a tough gig. Uh, you know, keep your head up, make sure you get on stage again as quick as you possibly can. And so, you know, I, I didn't take it to heart. Uh, I tried not to take it to heart. I mean, it still affected me a little bit because there was the insecurity of like, man, should I continue to do this? Mm -hmm. uh, but sure enough, the next night I went and got on stage again. And that time the, the next night I did just fine. And, uh, I kept moving forward, but at the moment it was embarrassing. And I laugh about it now because I'm like, damn, that was, that was crazy. Uh, but what a dick to scream, boo, get <laughs> off the stage. Yeah. Well, I think like our, you know, I'm not, I don't, I've, I've emceed an event. I've, I do some uh, speaking engagements and those kind of things, people, they're not, it's not the same as a comedy crowd. They're not looking to boo me off a stage. I mean, you'd have to really mess it up. But I, what I noticed that I, what I was thinking about when you were talking was, the little mess ups in my life, my ego gets so loud in my head and it like is relentless. It just keeps like the onslaught I'm brushing my teeth like five days later. And it's like, oh, here, remember this, that thing that you messed up or that problem that you have? Let's think about it right now. Oh, yeah. 
And I'm curious from a performer standpoint, where, like, how do you, do you have that experience where you, these thought like your ego does that to you or that voice in your head and how do you deal with it? Yeah. So oftentimes that voice comes out normally, like right before you're about to walk on stage and do a show, which is not the right time for that to happen. <laughs> Cause you know, that's, you're bringing up something that's, you know, you're insecure about. And so you're about to walk up there and try to make people laugh and you have these negative thoughts in the back of your mind. Um, you just have to, for me, I just have to really turn my negative thoughts into positive thoughts. Um, and really, especially from a performance standpoint is generally speaking, the audience is going to be whatever mood you're in and on stage. So like if I walk up and I'm negative, I'm going to make the audience negative. But if I walk at, if I walk up and I'm positive and I'm smiling and I'm having a good time in turn, the audience is going to have a good time because I'm having a good time. Um, so it's just a, it's just a mental shift of being able to know that I'm, I'm good enough to get on stage. I'm good enough to make people laugh. Um, and you know what? I'm doing it for fun. I'm doing it to let the audience remove their anxiety, remove their negative thoughts for the day. So I have to think about it in terms of have a good time and make sure that, uh, you're utilizing your talents to alleviate the audience from any stress that they may have. Like my mission in life um, is to free people of concern. That's like everything that I do. That's why I do stand-up comedy, acting. Like when I'm doing stand-up and people are in the audience laughing, they're not thinking about their problems. When they're watching a movie, they're not thinking about their problems. When I'm helping a, a business owner fix his business development uh, department in his business, that you know, I'm helping alleviate stress from him. So you know, it all goes back to that, that one mission in my life. And that's to free people of concern. That's awesome. How did, what's the biggest thing that you've learned from the acting and the comedy, the let's just call it the like Hollywood, more entertainment side that you're able to bring in and apply to the entrepreneurial conversation? I think that, um, Honestly, on the Hollywood side, uh, the Hollywood side of things, there's a lot more rejection uh, than I anticipated. To, to be honest with you, um, and that's more like on the acting side um, than it is on the stand-up comedy side. Because the stand-up comedy side, you know, I get booked pretty regularly, which is it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's here's the difficult part. I, I feel like is I wouldn't say there's anything that I've learned on the entrepreneurial on the Hollywood side that translates over the, to the entrepreneurial side. It's more the opposite. Okay. It's more, I look at the entertainment side of things and wonder how my entre entrepreneurial experience is going, how, what do I need to do to make sure this thing works the way I want it to work to reach the, the level of success that I would like to reach. So that's, I, I pull a lot of my entrepreneurial experience into the entertainment side. And it's funny, like even when I talk to, you know, comedians that have been doing it for 20 years and we have a conversation, you know, every now and then people are like, Hey man, do you manage people? Cause it'd be really cool if you manage me, nice. you know? And it's like, well, I, and I've actually thought about it. I'm like, maybe I should manage people. I don't know. Uh, but I think that the business mindset will get you a lot further. You could be a mediocre, uh, stand-up comedian, but be very good at business and you could get booked all the time. Uh, you would have a very difficult time if you, you know, you could be a really good comedian and have shitty business sense and never get booked, never make any money and, and just squander what you're doing. 
Um, so again, that's why I think the entrepreneurial side of things, no matter what you do is so important to understand. And everyone's always, Oh, I don't like the business side of stuff. I don't like the business side. I'm like, well, if you want to be successful, you better start learning the business side. Go listen to Kevin Hart talk. He d- he did a podcast not too long ago where he talked about that, about to where he's basically an enterprise now and he's on the business side when before he really didn't want to learn that much about it. But now he's realizing, well, that's where all the money is. That's a great point. I, I was just in a mastermind last night with a, a group of pretty successful, like, you know, entrepreneurs. And we were talking about, uh, if you don't, if, if you identify what your strengths are and you can focus on those, great. And if there's some weaknesses that you have, you get to decide, like, do I want to spend my time improving what I'm not good at, or do I want to find someone that can do it for me? And I think like it's there, it becomes, you can do either one, right? If, if you need to focus on that business side and it's going to make the difference, you probably want to learn those skills. And if you're like, man, I'm just not good at like negotiating contracts and I'm not going to go to law school or whatever. Yeah. Hire someone. Uh, but you can't, but what I'm getting is like, you can't ignore the side that you don't quote unquote like, or isn't fun for you. Right. And so many people do do that. They ignore it. You know, like on in business, I see so many entrepreneurs that don't know accounting, so they just don't pay attention to it. And I'm like, man, you're, you're doing yourself a real disservice. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate for getting the right people involved. Like if you suck at accounting, then get somebody who's really good at accounting, but still learn the process and learn, learn enough about it to where you can't get bamboozled by somebody. Um, and same thing goes for entertainment. I mean, if you're not good at the business side of things, then get somebody in there who is and have them do it. So you can do what you do really well and you can focus on that. And then they can focus on what they do really well. And then you're going to be super successful. How did you, I'm curious, like, how did you even get into this? Did you go to business school? Did you start as a young entrepreneur and learn? Like, where did your background as an entrepreneur, as a business consultant, as somebody who has grown now that, you know, you, we talked about in your intro, like taking a company from the, from the base level to 200 employees, millions and millions of dollars generated. Where did you get this knowledge and experience? Like, honestly, hard work. Like, do it just <laughs> like, you know, I've, I had mentors along the way. Obviously, like one of the things I think people don't do enough of is get coaches along the way. Mm. I think, again, as men, uh, oh, I don't need a coach. I know what I'm doing. You know, if they've been in an industry for 20 years, they're reluctant to go get a coach to help them um, through their process and help them grow. And so like I had a lot of mentors along the way, paid and unpaid mentors who really showed me the ropes and how to do it. And then, you know, the, the biggest avenue of learning is like just getting out there and doing it, starting, you know, like everyone's like, Oh, I mean, how do you start a company? I'm like, well, you start by starting. Nobody knows everything (laughs) they need to know when they start a company, you acquire that along the way. And, and, one cheat cheat way of doing it is you hire someone who's been there before, or you find someone who, who is where you want to be and you follow in their footsteps and you learn from the, the people that are out there doing it. Um, and you know, having a mentor doesn't necessarily mean you have to pay somebody, right? Like you can, you can go binge watch Gary V videos for six weeks and get a, a bunch of information <laughs> from it, you know, and, and, Technically, he's your mentor. You're learning as you're going. And so there's enough content out there that you can digest um, or you can hire people to actually coach you through the process. And so that's what I did. I, I was smart enough to read books and I was smart enough to hire coaches. And when you look at every single um, 
highly successful individual, whether that be an athlete or whether that be an entrepreneur, um, they all have coaches. I mean, um, I mean, everybody has, has, yeah. has a coach, right? It, it doesn't matter who it is, who's super successful. They all have coaches. I mean, look at Conor McGregor. I mean, he just hired Tony Robbins for the last year and look at how he ended his last fight. I mean, he just it was like, I don't know, 40 seconds or something like that. I mean, the yeah. dude's a badass. And do you, uh, and when you look at Conor McGregor, you, you're not looking at him going, you know what Conor probably needs in his life? Tony Robbins. Nobody would have said that. <laughs> but even even Conor McGregor came out and said, man, he's cha- he's done some big changes in me. And he gave a lot of credit to Tony Robbins. And you're talking about a guy who's won a, already a ton of title fights. And so it's like when you're looking at these high profile, mm-hmm. super successful individuals and they're getting coaches, but you're not. I mean, who's the right one here? I mean, go get a coach, get someone that's going to teach you something that is going to take you to the next level. And I always say this, man, if you're in a room and you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to be, you, when you walk into a room, you should feel a little bit inferior. Like I don't belong in this room. Everyone in this room is way more successful than me because I don't remember who told me this, but your five closest friends are drunks. Guess who's going to be the sixth? Yeah. Your five closest friends are millionaires. Guess who's going to be the sixth? And so if you start putting yourselves in those rooms where you're, you feel a little bit insecure, you feel a little uncomfortable, uh, guess what? Those people are going to, rub off on you and you're going to end up becoming who they are. I, I, I've said for, I, this is before I became a coach, before I started working on myself, I used to always say, I want to be the ugliest, uh, <laughs> most unsuccessful person in every room I go in. And, yeah. and I, but I wasn't thinking of, right. I was thinking about it from like, from ego. It's the same, right. It, and now I see it from a new lens of like, yeah, you become what you're around. But when I used to say this, I used to think, man, that'd be an awesome room. Like that would be a great room to be in. Um, and, but now I see the value of it from like a human level of, Hey, if you put yourself in a room with people that are deeply loving and compassionate and care for humanity, you are going to care more about human humans and other people. And right. So it doesn't matter what you believe in. If you care deeply about something, find a room of people that care deeply about that or, or friends or a network or um, a business, but that people that have gone further than you and, I think like we all can provide value. So how do I, how do I bring value to that room? How do I bring something that they don't already have? Yeah. Well, and I think that's something that we, it's always misconstrued too, is the fact that we all think that the people that we talk to either think like we do or have the knowledge that we do. You all, you just assume that right off the bat. So when you go into a room, that's why you feel like you don't really have a, any value to provide is because you automatically think, Oh, they know everything I do, which is not true. You start talking to people, you realize really quick that, Hey, I do have some information here that I can provide some value. What it doesn't even matter what it is. It doesn't have to be, it, it, it doesn't have to be money-making value. It can be, you know, like how to be more compassionate, how to be more patient, how to be uh, more loving, you know, how to be more attentive. Like when you're having a conversation and not looking around 50 different places to show the person you're actually interested in their conversation. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of ways people can provide value. And part of being able to provide that value is opening up and talking. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. I, 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 you brought me back into this, uh, mastermind I was in yesterday And the thing that I walked away with when I was done was I had this thought of, man, you're not, you could be better at getting feedback. Like you actually go there to help, to help them and they help you. And now I know 
I know scientifically the way the brain works is we are, our brain is averse to feedback. It doesn't matter how constructive it is, who it comes from, our brain hears feedback and goes into fight or flight automatically. And all we can do is notice it and then, you know, get, shift our, our perspective, shift our mindset around it. But I was sitting there last night and I was like, man, you are so averse to feedback. And they were giving, these guys were giving me great things. And it was really cool that I noticed it because now I can do something with it, right? I can keep practicing and letting it in more, putting down my defenses. But I think it's a, it's a interesting conversation because even the thing that I wanted and the thing that I'm there for, I had up like my defenses for. And it just, yeah. you just made me think of that. Yeah. But you're, but what you just said there is like reigns true. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Astaroff. He's like, a, yeah, yeah, of course. He comes, he comes to, uh, actually, I think he lives in San Diego. He comes to our mastermind and speaks. Uh, but like he said, if you could have one superpower, it would be to be aware, like more aware. Because if you're aware of something, then you can change it. If you're not aware, then you can't do anything about it. So if you could gain more awareness, like you just said, like, man, I really don't, I struggle with criticism. Um, you know, if you're aware of it, you can go, okay, I just need to be open to it. But if you're, if you're not aware that you dislike criticism, then you're always just going to have a negative, uh, reaction to criticism and you can never change it. Um, so yeah, I think that that's super powerful. The more aware you can become about like everything within you about you, the more you can grow as an individual. And it's not the easiest thing to do, but it absolutely does help. And so it's like, you know, every time I get myself into a situation, like a, like, I don't know, it doesn't even matter if it's my fault or not. Like I always ask myself, I'm always like, what did I do to put myself in this position? Like what, like where, where was my contribution? Like, how is this my fault and how can I take accountability for where I am in life? opposed to like pointing the finger to other people going, well, if they would have done this or that, then I wouldn't be in this situation. And it's like, no, 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 dude, you're in this situation because of you. Like I had, uh, before I saw that last company, I had a girl in accounting when she didn't pay $80,000 worth of taxes to the IRS payroll taxes. And that was like, it was about a month's worth of taxes. Anyway, I could have gotten mad at her, uh, that she didn't pay him. But the, the reality of it is, is I'm the one that put her in the position. So it was my fault that she didn't pay the taxes. I also didn't follow up with her to make sure she paid the taxes. And so I had no one else to blame but myself. Granted, I had to put someone else in the position, but I'm not blaming her for that. It's, it's my fault. And I think once you start being able to take accountability, you start being self-aware, I think then that's when the real growth starts to happen. And it's humbling when you start realizing your shortcomings uh, you start to really realize, man, I have a lot of growth. Everyone has so, so much growth potential, but I also feel like if you're not challenging yourself like that, then you're never going to really reach your, your, your full potential. I love that you just brought up what I would refer to as like full ownership of your life. Like this person made the mistake that they made, but then you as it's your life, right? Then you took ownership of yourself, your company, and that doesn't mean she can't also go do that, right? She can like take responsibility for her life and the mistakes she made. But I find that so many people are unwilling to do that, right? It doesn't matter if it's in the company, not in the company, pointing blame, making other people take the responsibility and forgetting that it's it's your life. Like it, you, everyone could take all the responsibility in the world. It doesn't matter if you're not willing to, you still never take ownership of your own life. 
Yeah, but where does I mean, even where does like blaming somebody else for your situation like that's not getting you anywhere. Yeah, like and you're and you're not going to grow from that that situation. You're not because then all of a sudden by blaming someone else, you're pawning that problem off on them, and you never think about it again. And you and it's always their fault. And because because of that, you're never going to look within, and you're never going to grow. And and that's the biggest problem. What I with see with a lot of people is they don't entrepreneurs specifically because they don't want to take ownership over the, over, you know, failures of people that they've hired within their company. You know, well, I hired this guy and he didn't do this. And you know, this is the reason why we're like this. I'm like, no, no, no. You hired the guy. It's your fault. You need to take ownership and accountability for it. And you need to grow from it and learn and move on. What do you, you're, you're, you're really aware. I mean, I love that you brought up awareness before too, because you're really aware and you're very, um, it's clear you ask a lot of questions like with yourself and you talked about having a coach coaches before. So you, you're in those kind of relationships and you're at a mastermind, you're doing a lot of this. So where do you feel like you get caught up and struggle? Like what really challenges you? Man, how much time do we have, bro? <laughs> <laughs> as much as you want to share. Man, like, dude, I struggle on a lot. A lot of, I mean, you know, I struggle on like a lot of aspects of my life, man. Like it's not just, you know, like, yeah, I grew a company and I sold it for a seven-figure acquisition. That still doesn't make me the, the best entrepreneur. Like I know everything there is to know about business. So I still struggle in business. You know, there's still a lot of stuff that, um, I stumble on and, and I don't make the right decision. Um, I struggle, you know, my, I think one of my biggest struggles is, you know, now that I have a, a daughter and my wife is like living in the moment and being able to just enjoy, like not, not worrying about like, what do I need to do for work? Where do I need to go? Like, or uh, I need to get booked for stand up. I need to, you know, find another acting gig. I need like, Cause I'm so proactive and future focused that sometimes I really lose in those moments in which it really sucks because, you know, I'm seeing with my daughter, like her growing up, she's only one, but man, she's already walking and talking and I'm, those are fleeting moments. And it's being in the moment, like when you're at a mastermind or around friends to engage with people and actually like have meaningful conversations and not worry about, you know, it doesn't always have to be about money, you know? And so I think, you know, I, I struggle with that. I, you know, um, you know, and every now and then, you know, like a client will hire me to help them with their business. And sometimes dude, I mean, there's sometimes there'll be a little bit of an insecurity there too, to where it's like, man, I hope I have the knowledge. This person is hiring me, you know, anticipating that I can pull them out of whatever obstacles they're in. And I'm, hopeful that I have the knowledge to be able to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky because I have, I have resources that if I don't have all the knowledge, I can pull on my resources to be able to get the knowledge. But I think that, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on for days and days about like things that I struggle with, you know, and, and I think a lot of times people also going back to like a company hiring you, sometimes there's the imposter syndrome to where you feel like, uh, you're not qualified enough to be able to help somebody with their current situation. You know, and generally yeah. speaking, if that happens to where it's like too much of a overwhelming feeling, then I'll try to find someone that I know could actually help them opposed to me. Um, 
you were talking about living in the moment and like the experience of your daughter and you, we talked about masterminds. We talked about coaches. Are there other ways that you practice slowing down, right? You got a ton of stuff going on. Are there, are there routines or practices or habits that you have that you do use to not have it just be like, go, 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 hustle, 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 make, create, you know, get in that right to get out of yeah, the Yeah, mode. for sure. Like the biggest, like the, the, the biggest obstacle cell phone. That's like, there's so much distraction involved in that one device. It's insane. And so when I'm having like a, like family time, I will literally like go put my phone in my room and I won't, I won't look at it. I, that way I'm not distracted and looking at it and I'm paying attention and I'm giving, you know, full undivided attention to my daughter, to my wife, to make sure that we're all having a, a nice family time to where, you know, if I go take my daughter out for a walk, and I'm talking on the phone with somebody or I'm, you know, looking up stuff on Instagram or whatever I'm doing. I'm not spending time with my daughter. That's, you know, I'm just walking outside with her. And so oftentimes I'll just I'll put my phone aside. And so in the morning, uh, when I get up and my daughter's awake, I'll spend the first hour, hour and a half of my daughter without my phone. I won't even look at it and just spend time and, and play with her and make sure that I'm giving her the attention she needs. And then I do the same thing at night before she goes to bed. Uh, she goes to bed usually about seven. So usually about five 30, I'll just put my phone away. Um, and when I say away, I don't mean in my pocket. I mean, I put it in another room. So I'm not, there's zero distractions and I just pay attention to where I think the, you know, if people can put their phone down for a little bit of, a, for a little bit of time every day and really spend time with the people that they're with, yeah. you'll be surprised about how much, uh, how much more engaging conversations can be because people don't even realize out of a nervous habit, uh, when they're talking to people, how people just randomly pull out their phone and not, they're not even really looking at it, but they're just kind of like scrolling through it. Mm -hmm. And I make it a point to whenever I'm with in like in a group of people or having conversations that I will not pull my phone out and, and look at it. I will just like pay attention to what's going on in front of me and just engage with what I'm doing and try as much as possible to be in the moment versus, uh, you know, half out of it by, you know, looking at my phone every 10 seconds. Yeah. I love that you talk about it like a nervous habit. I notice it. I'll be talking to somebody. I'm sitting with them. I'm like looking them straight in the eye and there's a voice in my head, like, Hey, get your, check your phone, check your phone, check. Yeah. Your phone. And it, and it's not like I'm waiting for to for some million dollar check to clear that I need. Like <laughs> it's it's there's nothing right. Like the, if that was actually the case, if like I was waiting for a call from you and you we were about to give me some big news, you'd probably say to the person, "Hey, I'm waiting for like this amazing call." They'd be super psyched for you, and it would be like totally normal. But I, I love that you point out that we have this nervous habit that we do unintentionally. It's it's a um, it's actually a block in connection. Mm -hmm. it, it has us disconnect from the other person, but it also has us disconnect from ourselves. I notice if I don't put my phone in another room when I'm at home, I check it incessantly. I could be watching a show I'm into. I could be making dinner. I'll just like, ha I'll, I'll just be picking it up and looking at it. And there's nothing not waiting yeah, for anything. We do it when we don't even get a notification. And that's what's crazy. Like you're not even getting notified of anything and we still pull it out and look and scroll through it. And it's like, you know, and plus like I'm a huge, like time is our most valuable asset. And when someone's willing to give me their undivided attention, I think the least I can do is give it back. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, by checking your phone in the middle of a conversation, unless you're waiting for something important to happen, um, you know, it can be a little bit disrespectful and it's, it makes you seem ingenuine. And I don't want people to think I'm ingenuine. I already look like I'm ingenuine uh, by my stature. People <laughs> always think I'm a dick when they first meet me. And I'm like, I, I don't need anything else to go, go against me. But I think that, uh, I think, you know, if someone's going to give me their time, I'm going to give give my time right back and I'm going to engage in a conversation and not pull my phone out every 17 seconds. Is there, you've, I, I shared this with my, one of the last podcasts I recorded. I measure how well I think a podcast is going by how much I'm writing down while we're having the conversation. Like I, I noticed that when I'm not happy with the way a podcast comes out, I have like no notes. I have like the person's <laughs> name, the date and like one thing. And I have, multiple pages with the conversation we've been having, um, which for me is just like, man, I'm getting value. We're having a cool, we're, we're talking about things that I think matter. So to me, that's like, well, if we think so, it has to land for other people that way too. Is there anything that we haven't like touched on that you're like, man, people need to hear this. People need to see this, you know, that you want to, that you want to talk about before we kind of wrap up. I mean, the only thing that I would say is, is have the courage in life to, ch to chase your, your dreams, your true, your true, true dreams, not what your mom wants you to do, your brother, your sister, but your true dreams, whatever that might, might be. And don't let the, the naysayers in life like talk you out of like actually following what you feel like you were put on this earth to do. And I see so many people that do that to where they're, they become something that they didn't really want to be because dad did it for a long time or mom wanted them to do it. And it's not what they really want to do. It's just, and they're worried about like, if they go chase, you know, I mean, man, when I told people, yeah, you know, I'm going to move to LA and I'm going to pursue, you know, acting and producing. Yeah. I mean, you know how many people were like <laughs> laughed at me and were like, you're an idiot. Um, I grew, and, I grew up in LA. So I, you know, when people <laughs> like you showed up, I laughed at them. I was like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I don't blame you. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, it's a tough industry, but like not letting, I would much rather like give it a shot and fail and it not work out for whatever reason, um, than never give it a shot and always wonder. But I will say this, and this is a quote from Steve Jobs is, uh, the only difference between success and failure is perseverance. And that's it. Perseverance. Most people, whether it's entrepreneurship, acting, being a chef, being a home builder, it doesn't matter. The, the, the only difference between the people that failed and the people that succeeded most of the time is perseverance. They weren't willing to go through all the bullshit and all the pain and all the ups and downs to be able to get to their dream and they, you know, quit too early. So don't let anybody ever talk you out of what you know you want to go do and know that if it is a real dream that, um, there are going to be a lot of ups and downs and a lot of uh, really difficult days. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had a client the other day and we were talking about, you know, I made, when I started my business five years ago, there was somebody around me who was struggling with money at that moment. And I said to them, Hey, go get a credit card and like, get you, keep yourself going. Right. You have this dream. And they were like, I can't do that. And that's not the right way. I'm not saying like, go get a credit card. Like that's not the, but it was like, they were like, it would, they were at that moment where they, if they didn't have some money, they had to quit. And I remember saying, they, they asked me back, well, I don't understand. Like, why would you just do that? 
And I had this, there was this knowing inside of me that was like, I don't care if I rack up a hundred thousand dollars in debt, if it allows me to pursue this goal in this dream, because I know that like, look, that, I don't take the debt with me either, but I know that if I don't chase it and if I allow something like, I don't have money this week or this month to stop me. And it sends me back to like a life of, of compromising and settling that that was going to be a way bigger regret than having to deal with like, how do I get out of the debt that I create? Um, and I don't say that, like, if you're listening that you don't have to create debt to like make your dreams come true. But I <laughs> yeah. love the idea that there's going to be all these things that stop us, you know, whether it be debt or not supportive people or, you know, your religion or your race or whatever it is. And ultimately what separates people is the ones that keep going that are just like, I'm not going to be stopped by this and I'll figure out an, I'll figure out a way to go over it, through it, around it, under it, but I'm not going to be stopped. Absolutely. There's one, I mean, there's one thing that's for sure. There are going to be obstacles and there are going to be tough days. There are going to be days that you want to quit. Uh, but that everything happens in seasons, man. If you stick to it and you work, you continue to work towards it. At some point you're going to come out of it. And you're going to be like, wow. And, and then the people that are like, Oh, laughed at you when you wouldn't try to do it. They're going to be like, man, I always knew you could do it. And it's like, no, no, you didn't. Not in the beginning. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, use, use the naysayers as your power. You know, Eminem says he's so successful because he had so many haters. He just, he just kept grinding forward because so many people would hate on him that that's what motivated him to succeed. Dude, Eminem is so angry still. He's still so angry. <laughs> I actually would love, I actually would love to, um, I shouldn't even say that because I don't know that that's true, right? That could be like his his persona out there. But I'd actually right. really be curious to know if he actually that angry or is that just his persona as a musician? Um, but it's, let's, I've never wrapped up on Eminem before, so it's perfect. <laughs> uh, I want people to know where to find you for all that you do. So I'm going to spell your name for them. But if you want to go to to Tommy's website, it's Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y-B-E-R-R-E-T-Z.com. And, or you can go check out the sellable website, which is S E L L A B L E I N C.com. Everything will be in the show notes. So if you didn't get it, just check the show notes. Um, Tommy has a Facebook page. He's on Twitter. Um, same first and last Tommy Barrett's, uh, same thing on Instagram. You can basically, you know, you're out there everywhere. Um, Dude, thanks for being here. Thanks for having a conversation with me that just wasn't about like success and doing more for talking about your daughter, for talking about your family, for, for actually diving into, I think what makes us human and whole and the things that really matter. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me. And I think that more conversations like this need to be had because I think we're in a, we're in a place in this world where everybody thinks that, you know, success has to be money and that doesn't have to be money. Um, you know, like I think that kindness and love matter a lot more than mm. what your bank account status is. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.